Thank you, Dan. God bless you. Welcome this morning to the Westchester Evangelical Free Church. We're thrilled that you're here worshiping with us. For some of you, this is your home church. For others, you may be visiting because of the holidays. We welcome you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're glad you're here this morning. And our prayer today is that we will together hear from the Lord of glory. Because what we need, what I need every day and what we all need, is to hear the voice of the Lord loving us, caring for us, and comforting us. If you'll uh, look at your bulletins, there is an outline on, the, on a small yellow sheet, an outline of the message this morning that may be of help to you as we progress. I hope it will be. Pastor Chuck called me a few months ago to ask if this might be possible, that I could could preach this morning. Many of the pastors want to be out. It's holiday time, and I understand that. I think Pastor Josh is here today. We're, we're thankful for that. Uh, and he said, you know, you can speak on anything you want. And that's always a bit dangerous, you know. <laughs> um, what a risk, you know. So, so, so there are two reasons for a message this morning. The, the, the first is that it follows hard on the teaching that we enjoyed all throughout December through the book of Ruth. Uh, a, surprise, a surprising Redeemer coming, and it's a, it was a great message. Uh, I hope you're thankful for your pastors here. You have great pastoral staff here. And be sure to tell them how much you appreciate uh, their ministry to you. Thank them. It's, it's hard work, and, and very often it's thankless work, so encourage them as, you're, as you have opportunity to do that. So I, I wanted to follow through a bit on what was happening, because we're going to see now that uh, Boaz and Ruth are the grandparents of Jesse of Bethlehem. And uh, his name shows up in our text this morning. So there's some follow through here. The, the second reason I chose this is because it's the cusp of the new year. And we're thinking about changes in our lives. We're thinking about what might be different. Um, so, uh, our title this morning is Turning Point, Now is the Time, and our scripture is going to be on the screen in front of us here, and I invite you to read along with me. I'll take the, the leader's part, and if together, if, if you'll read the all part, and we'll get through these four verses together. Could we stand together, though, first? And if you're able to stand, some of you standing is tough, that's okay, remain seated. Let's stand and give honor to God at the reading of his word. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And now verse 2 together. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now verse 3. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me from anoint for me him whom I declare to you, and all together now. Samuel did what the Lord commanded, 
and came to Bethlehem. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word this morning. We're grateful that you have taken on our weakness, the weakness of human flesh. You came and you tabernacled among us. Jesus has come. The Redeemer has come. And we meet this morning in his name. We meet in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit this morning. We're so grateful. And Lord, uh, help us to anticipate the year that's coming with great joy and, and great enthusiasm. And let us expect that you have maybe one, two, or more turning points for us in the year that's coming that we might see you use us for your uh, glory and the good of those around us. Speak to us, we pray, by the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Christmas, uh, always each Christmas now, reminds us of our very first Christmas when uh, Sue and I moved to Urbandale some 22 years ago. We'd actually moved in the summer of 97 and taken residence in the house we still live in in September of 97. And uh, we moved in and thinking, oh, it'd be great to meet the folks around us, our, our new neighbors, won't that be fun? And make some friendships in the neighborhood and their relationships. And, and uh, a few weeks went by and, and no one came to say hi. You know, I think the word was out that I was a preacher and that's sort of the kiss of death. I understand that. <laughs> but the weeks went by and the months went by and nobody came. And now it's Christmas in 97. And, uh, and the day after Christmas, we had the famous Wagner fire at our house. Now, it wasn't such a big deal, although it was to us at the time. But uh, the day after Christmas, the 26th of December that year, we woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning. We heard this thumping down the hallway. What was going on in our son's room? And we went down there, opened the door, and his room was filled with smoke. His electric blanket had malfunctioned, sparked in the night. The bedding at the foot of his bed was all on fire. And his room was filled with, with smoke, smoke that soon filled the entire house. Thankfully, taking his pillow and smacking this thing had put the fire out. But I said to Sue, there's a fire, call, call the fire department. So here they came. And by 6.30 that morning, we had three fire trucks in front of our house. And the firemen came, quickly extinguished whatever was left of the smoldering bedclothes there. And, uh, and uh, before they left, they dragged that mattress down our stairway and out the front door and deposited it in our front yard. How's that for action sports fans, you know? So uh, with that going on and three ladder trucks in front of our house at 630, I said to Sue, okay, we'll meet the neighbors now. <laughs> I mean, that's what you think, right? And, but, uh, but you know what? Um, nobody came. And, and you know, that's okay. It's okay. And we began to, we, you know, we thought about this. We began to pray about it. And I, I said to Sue, I had one of these flashes of insight. This is what we get paid for, you know. And one of these flashes of insight. And I said, you know, honey, I think we're supposed to go to them. Ah, okay. Turning point. So uh, in a couple of months, we met with two couples who are friends of ours. And we decided that we would meet once a month on Wednesday night to pray for our neighbors. We agreed to do that. And before we met to pray, we would each one go visit the neighbors in our respective neighborhoods, and we would introduce ourselves, and we would ask them for prayer requests. 
showcase, and now it's time to put up or shut up, right? So that the Wednesday night, the first Wednesday night is approaching, I think it was in February or March, and, and so I went across the street, and I went to about seven of our neighbors, and I stood on the doorstep, and I knocked, and I introduced them. I said, hi, my name's Kent White, I live in this house right over here, and uh, we meet with people on, on Wednesday nights, and we pray for our neighbors, and I just wonder if you would have a prayer request that we could pray for you about. And people were amazingly receptive, open, grateful, thanked me for coming. And so I had, set, I had a little pad with me and wrote them down, and I had seven prayer requests. The second month, I went around and I did the same thing. The first house I stopped at on the second month, my second tour of duty here, the lady said to me, oh, she said, we appreciate you doing this. Say, she said, why don't we have a neighborhood Bible study. And I said, you know, if, if you'll host it, because nobody's going to come to a preacher's house. <laughs> Got that message. If you'll host it, I'll lead it. She said, let's do it. So that neighborhood Bible study went on for five or six years. And we would have a, a few people come, depending monthly, the monthly kind of a deal. But at Christmas time, we would have a, a large neighborhood Christmas party. People would come, 15 to 20 people would come. Even if they'd never come to the Bible study, they would come. And an interesting thing began to happen in the neighborhood. People warmed up. There was associations. People knew each other. And we were grateful for that. The Lord was at work. We're going to see this morning that uh, you and I are really, this is our theme this morning, you and I are the Lord's messengers. And... Our obedience to him, our obedience to him changes everything. It changes the world, and that's really God's plan because God is in the world-changing business. And it wasn't only at the time of Christ, and it wasn't only at the time of Samuel and David, but it's today as well. Let's set up our story just a little bit. Chapter 15 of 1 Samuel is ended, and, and God has decided to uh, remove Saul as king of Israel. And as chapter 15 ends, Samuel is grieving, the Lord is grieving, he's, re, he's regretting, it says there at the end of chapter 15, he regretted that he had made Saul king of Israel. Of course, the only one who wasn't mourning, the only one who wasn't grieving was Saul. He's the one who should have been grieving, but he wasn't. And so as chapter 16 ends, the Lord speaks to Samuel to correct him. And he gives him this challenge. How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Here's God's correction. And his word that we can capture for us this morning, I hope we'll take this away, he says to Samuel, look, get over it. How long? That's an expression that appears uh, in one version of the Bible some 61 times. The first time it comes through uh, the mouth of Moses, but it's the word of the Lord uh, to a Pharaoh back in Exodus. And, and God says to Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me. How long? And whenever how long is asked of us by the Lord or the Lord's servants, it's always an indication that God wants it done now. There's an immediacy that, that goes with this question, how long? How about now? Now. 
Saul had disobeyed the Lord. He had failed miserably as king. And Saul's sin had greatly impacted Samuel. And, and it, it wasn't only Saul's disobedience by refusing to carry out the Lord's commands. It wasn't only his disobedience that, that was shameful. That was shameful enough. But I'm sure what Saul could see, or what Samuel could see here was too, that, that it was all the good, it was all the good that, that Saul could have accomplished, but didn't. What a waste. What a waste. It reminds us of the words of the poet. For all sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. You ever lived there? You ever had that as your address? Do you ever get any Christmas cards with your name on it in, in, in the land addressed to you in the, in the city of it might have been? You ever lived there and mourned over failed dreams, dreams that have died that will never come to pass? Well, well, what does God tell Samuel? You've grieved long enough. Get over it. Samuel, you're stuck. And you and I need help with this too. We just do. Whether it's, whether it's my own sin and I just can't get past my own failure or, or it's the sin of someone against me and I can't get past their failure and their hurt. I, I, I nursed those wounds that seem to never heal. Perhaps it's somebody, we were doing ministry together and they let me down. Or, or I think of this great hymn that reminds us about God's grace Grace that is greater than all my sin. And not only my sin, but the sins of those who have sinned against me as well. And, 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 and I hope that as 2019 slips away, that you and I will not be held in the grip of the past. So much so, at least, that we fear to move into the present because disappointment and grief, heartache, can make us stuck, can make us afraid to move. This was what was happening at the time of, of, of the Reformation. The Reformation, one of the, the greatest turning points in the history of the world, literally. And, and two years ago, in 2017, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther putting his 95 theses on the door of, of Wittenberg Church. Luther rediscovered God. And that was a turning point that changed, literally changed the world. And, and so as, as the, the Reformation took hold in the years after 1517, 19, 20, 21, the church was changing now. The church in Germany was changing. And here's some change. I mean, every one of these is, is major. Priests were getting married. Try that one on. Is that major? I think so. The cup in communion, not only were the, uh, was the congregation offered the bread as they always had, but, but now they were offered the cup as well. They held both elements, and that, that had never happened before. They had the cup and the bread. Wow. Now they had the scriptures in German in their own language. Try that one on. First time, it always been in Latin, always the language of scholarship before. Now it was in the language of the people. Congregational singing was introduced by Martin Luther. And the folks like you and I did this morning, that great, to lift our voices and praise the Lord. They had that opportunity. 
Luther gave the singing to the people, all of these changes. And at one point, the leaders who were working with Luther stopped. And they just, there were so many changes. They, they, they began to be afraid. They thought, what if we sin? What if we change so much, so much changes that we, that we enter into sin? And Luther wrote them a letter, and he pointed them to Christ. He said, don't be afraid of this. He said, Christ, if you sin, get over it. Christ will cover that. He wanted to give them courage. And his letter was, was the most famous letter he ever wrote. And his language here is a bit startling. I'll share a little bit. I'll share all of it with you, but I'll share some of it. And uh, he, he, he starts out this part of the letter. He says this. He says, be a sinner and sin bravely. When did you ever hear a preacher talk to you like that, huh? <laughs> Boy, that's the message we came to hear. Is this a great morning in church or what? But he wasn't encouraging them to sin. He was encouraging them to get unstuck and to move ahead and, and obey God into the future. And then he said this. No sin will separate us from the Lamb. Do you think that the purchase price that was paid for the redemption of our sins by so great a Lamb is too small? Do you think Christ's death on the cross is too small to purchase you from your sin? Come on! And he pointed them to Christ. He was trying to capture, and he did capture for us, the clear teaching, for example, of Hebrews 10, 14, that is so conclusive. It says this. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And he, he says as if to say, don't be afraid to obey God into the future. We're not going to out his grace. Let's trust him for the future. Refuse to be held Refuse to be held. I hope, hope you'll get a hold of this. I hope you can do this as the new year ends. Refuse to be held by the failures of the past. He says, get over it. And now, after he speaks to Samuel to correct him, now secondly, he speaks to Samuel to provide for him. His provision is this. His word of provision is this. Get filled up. Here's what he says. Fill your horn with oil. He's not going to send him to accomplish his work empty-handed. Oh, no, God never does that. Fill your horn with oil. Oil is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And as Samuel anoints David later in this passage in, in verses 11, 12, and 13, we read this in verse 13. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David... From that day forward, David was shaped. The NIV translates this and says, it came upon David powerfully from that day forward. And David, David was changed. David's anointing is a turning point. And, and when that happens, David's present began to change and his future. He was no longer a shepherd of the sheep. He becomes a warrior. And after a warrior, then a king and, uh, and, and, and from now on, the, the tribe of Judah, the city of Bethlehem, the house of, Jesus, of, of Jesse will be always linked to Christ the Messiah. David, king of Israel, now becomes the forerunner of Jesus, king of all kings and lord of all lords. Now, God is still providing 
And I'm not going to present to you this morning, we're not going to give you a little cup of oil to carry with you so you remember that, because we don't have to do that. We are the containers of the Holy Spirit. We don't need a cup of oil before us. We are the containers of the Holy Spirit. God still provides, and this, 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 uh, this blessing, this promise, came to the entire church, all of God's people, on the day of Pentecost. The same Spirit was given, same Holy Spirit as, as in old times, but now to a much greater extent. Two things happen to you and me when we are saved. Two things happen to us when we become followers of Jesus Christ. And Peter alludes to them on the day of Pentecost as he's preached his first sermon and the people are responding, the, the men of Israel under conviction, they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter gives them this invitation. Here's what he says, Acts 2.38. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he explains how that can be. In verse 39, he explains it. He says this, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Do you know who that includes? That includes you today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Everyone the Lord our God calls to himself. So just to review, two things happen. First of all, our sins are forgiven. And, and those of us who, who have known Christ for some time and are following him, we kind of get that. We say, well, yeah, I, you know, when I got saved, I prayed and asked God to forgive my sins. But we sometimes fail to point out that something else happened there. Not only were our sins forgiven, but we received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now we have a new power. Now we have a, a new filling. And so... In this new year, two realities hit us right, just like this, right in the face, right on the end of the nose. Two realities. First is this. Our sins have been forgiven, and we can get over the failures of the past. Don't do that. Leave it in the past. Leave it under the blood of Christ. The second reality is this, that you and I can get filled up we have the Holy Spirit. We have the provision of God. This is why the Apostle Paul could write to the Ephesians in, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. And he could command them this. This is, this is not a hope so. This is not a maybe. This is not a wouldn't it be nice. This is a command. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you command somebody to do that? Well, it, uh, it involves repenting of our sin. It involves repenting of our unbelief and letting the Holy Spirit who's come to us, whom we received as salvation, letting the Holy Spirit once again control us. Because to be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is running the show in our lives. That's what we want. That's what God wants. The Holy Spirit's come to fill us. He's come to control us. He's come to produce in us and through us the life of Jesus Christ. And how is that life on display? And how do we know? How do we know we're filled by the Holy Spirit? I want to suggest to you a couple of things. First of all, we become people of love because the Holy Spirit comes, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. 
Paul could write to the Romans in Romans chapter 13. He says, oh, no, no man, anything, this except to love one another. The debt you have to pay is the debt of love. How does that happen? It happens as we are filled by the Holy Spirit. We become lovers of people. And we also become lovers of God in such a way that we are gladly now to submit. We gladly submit to whatever it is God wants us to do. If he wants us to do this, we say, Lord, thank you. Just tell me, I'll, I'll do it. You know, we can say that. It's not as easy to do as I'm talking. In fact, I battled with that this week. I did. I, I, the, our mission, we work with a mission now. They, they want me to do a little project, and I've just thought, you know, I need to do this. every time. I'm sure this is the right thing to do. And I've just argued with myself. I've been Samuel. This could be too costly, God. I don't want to do this project. And I've realized I need to get with the program. I, I need to submit to God who's asking me to do certain things for his glory and to be glad about doing that. So, get over it. Get filled up with the Holy Spirit. And now after correcting Samuel and after providing for him, God, God thirdly, God commissions Samuel. And his commission is in the words, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to the house of Jesse of Bethlehem, the grandson of Ruth and Boaz. God's commission, thirdly, get going. Get over it. Get filled up, get going. Our God is ascending God. And, and immediately when God tells Samuel, the target, you're going to have to go to Bethlehem, Samuel knew his geography well enough to know that he was going to have to go through territory where Saul would probably be. And Saul could find out about this. Samuel becomes immediately fearful that his obedience could cost him his life. And God says, you know, why don't you leave the details to me? I'll take care of it. I'll show you what you need to do. You go, you offer a heifer, you're coming to do sacrifice. Not lying to Saul, he's just introducing another element to sort of cover this first anointing of David. You know, this is tremendously encouraging for me. And I hope it is for you. Sue and I had the opportunity to go to Egypt in, in November. First time we've ever been to a Muslim country to represent Jesus Christ. And we had some misgivings about doing that. And I talked to as many people as I could talk to. And I realized, you know, I'm not going to know everything ahead of time. I'm just not. And I'm going to have to trust God for this. And, and God was faithful to us. Got us there. Got us out. And I want to say to you, the Lord may put a challenge before you in this coming year that you just have never done before, maybe you're just not comfortable with doing. And God can give you what you need a day at a time as you obey him. The psalmist tells us this, that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and if he falls... The Lord will extend his hand and lift him up again. Oh, that's a great promise. Trust him. He is able to do it. So, not only is God still providing, 
the Holy Spirit, but now God is still sending us today as well. Here's how it happens. Here's this promise of Jesus from Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, just given to the church just before he ascends to the Father after his resurrection. And this is the promise. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is a tall drink of water. It was for them. It is for us as well. You, you go to people near and far, and you go, you're going with one purpose, and that's to be my witnesses. Sue and I serve missionaries in Romania, and, and uh, lately, in the last couple of years, we've been, we've been supporting and caring for some that are, that are young. They're new, and I know they're, they're one of their greatest concerns, one of their greatest fears, is that you know, they're just going to blow this. They're going to fail this. Also, even though they're there, it seems too big for them. And one of the great comforts, one of the greatest comforts in all the world is found right here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Because first of all, God tells us, I'm sending you in my power. We go in God's power, not our own. We are not, we are not sufficient for the task. God is sufficient. And we go with his assurance, with his assurance that we will be his witnesses. There will be threats. There will be fears that will rise in our hearts. But God sends us with his power and with his assurance. Now, now, let me just pause for a moment, take a brief survey. And taking surveys all along, if you answer those phone calls that come to your house, people are taking a survey. There's all kinds of surveys, and it's going to get worse as this election year goes on. We survey every minute of every day. But let me take a, a brief survey now. So, so as Jesus speaks like this to his church, do you think Jesus means that he's talking, do you think Jesus is talking about 5% of his church? Will 5% of the church re receive his power and his assurance? How about 10%? How about 50% of his church? How about 90% of his church? None of you are going for that, are you? Because you and I both know that Jesus intends these, these promises here in Acts 1-8 to be for his entire church, for 100% of his church. It's amazing that you and I can live in 2020 and the power and the assurance of the promises of Jesus Christ. Now, it's New Year's. It's coming up in a couple of days. And uh, everybody's making predictions. I want to come in with my own prediction this morning. And you can hold me accountable for this. Here's my prediction for this church for this year. Here, here it is. Every believer here this morning will be a witness to Jesus this year in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's my prediction. Let me say it one more time in case you were napping. It's a little late. I know that. Here's my prediction. Every believer here this morning will be a witness to Jesus this year in the power of the Holy Spirit. Whether it's that class of kids that you teach, whether it's the young people you meet with, whether it's that ladies group or that men's group, whether it's those shut-ins you go to visit, you will be a powerful witness to Jesus in this year in the Holy Spirit. Now, you may say, you're listening to that, and you're thinking, wow, really? Well, and you may be asking yourself, well, that, well how's, how's that going to happen? There's three ways that that'll happen. First of all, accept his correction. 
Get over the past. Get over it. Secondly, accept his provision. Get filled up with the Holy Spirit. Put away your sin and your rebellion. Put away your unbelief because it's really, it's really disobedience and unbelief that hinders the Holy Spirit from filling us and taking over us and, and reproducing the life of Christ in us. Get filled up. And thirdly, accept his commission. Get going. Do something you haven't done before. Sign up for something you haven't signed up for before. Make yourself available in a way you haven't made yourself available for. Or maybe it's just a matter of you're in a ministry already and maybe you've got tired and maybe, maybe you've given up on it and maybe it's time to say, Lord, I'm going to quit doing this in my own energy. I'm going to quit doing it for me. And from, day on, from now, from now this point, turning point, I'm going to do this for you. And do it now. Make that decision now before you leave here this morning. Make that decision today before the new year arrives. Why? Because the new year 2020 is going to soon be over. And God uses our obedience to change the world. Think about how this happens. Lives are changed. Because of Samuel's obedience, David's life was certainly changed forever. Communities are changed. Because of Samuel's obedience, David was now the king. The new king would become in, in years. It would take years for Saul to die, but it was coming. David would become a good king for Israel. Israel would be changed by David's leadership. And... Destinies are changed as you and I obey the words, the Lord's voice to us, and we take this glorious message of, of His grace and power and love, the, the, the possibility, the forgiveness of our sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit as we share this message with others. Destinies are going to be changed as well because today people still repent, people still believe the gospel, and they, they, um, receive the Holy Spirit, and they're welcomed into the family of God, the eternal family of God. Our neighborhood prayer group that we started 22 years ago lasted for five or six years. The family who helped us to start it across the street there moved away, but her life had been changed. She came to Christ through those Bible studies that we did every month. Praise God for that. And after they moved, a, a new family moved in their house. And um, I went over to welcome them to the neighborhood. I said, I'm glad you're here. And this is a little book that we're, we're kind of working through once a month. I'd like you to have this. You don't have to use it, but, but here it is for you. And he was so grateful, and he was smiling, and he was just so relaxed and happy. And he said, you know, he said, he says, I got to tell you, he says, this is about the friendliest neighborhood I've ever lived in. <laughs> and I walked down his driveway, back to my house, and I said to myself with a smile on my face, you know, Buster, it wasn't always like that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for Jesus. We're grateful that he is the Lord of second chances, of turning points, 
of new tomorrows. Lord, take away the grief and the sorrow. We sang it. We sang it so wonderfully a few minutes ago. We sang that wonderful song that, uh, that he has come to reign in our broken hearts. We will doubt and fear no more. Let that be our testimony today and, and in the new year. We will doubt and fear no more. Speak to our hearts. Lead us in our going in obedience to you. Direct us. Show us you're able to do that. You long to do that. That we might glorify you and that we might see the world around us changed because you honor the obedience of your servants. Hear us now, we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.